Can you guys hear me just fine? I'll, I'll take that as a yes. Okay, sweet. Everybody's just looking back at me like. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. Um, like Eric said, my name is Jorge, and I am part of the, the College and Young Adults Fellowship here at Midtown. And uh, I just want to make it, make it clear that I am not the, the lead pastor, Pastor Sam. Uh, he's out of town. Um, I was actually asked to um, cover for him, and so uh, that's why you're getting me. Um, but, uh, man, yeah, I, I'm, I'm super grateful for all of you here this morning. Uh, but before I get a, ahead of myself, I, I just want to let you know that we're going to be in Isaiah 29. So if you want to turn there. Um, but before I begin, I just want to thank you all for being my family, like I said. Um, yeah. Is that better? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so I, I just want to thank you all for, again, being my family and my friends. I have, have an awesome earthly family, my my blood family, and my, I have a great group of friends, but there's nothing like a spiritual family like I have with you. Um, there, is, there is something about uh, having spiritual fathers that speak into your life. Uh, there's something about having accountability with brothers and sisters. There's, um, it's unreal. And I remember walking through the, the doors of this building for the first time, and I think I, I remember seeing Eric, and I remember the interaction of everyone. It was kind of out of this world. It was, it was as if I walked through the, 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 the wardrobe from Narnia, right? Not to sound corny or anything, but it was as if everyone loved each other. It was as if there was no, there's no boundaries of age, no boundaries of profession, no boundaries of class. Now, I want to ask you, do you remember the first time you came to Midtown? Do you remember the first time you stepped foot in this building? Now, better yet, do you remember the first time you've accepted Jesus Christ? Now, if you haven't, let me stop there. If you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me, let me pause here for a second and just say that I'm begging you that you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. God gave His only Son, who was Jesus. He died for your sin, was buried with it, and resurrected. And so not only did He die for everyone's sin, but he resurrected unto eternal life. So if we believe in the gospel, we have life in Jesus, which is an amazing thing. Now, if, if you can vibe with me at that level, if you've re received Jesus Christ, do you remember the first time you made that decision? Do you remember that, that honeymoon stage, and I, I, I say that with air quotes because I hate that phrase, that the honeymoon stage. You know, our marriage doesn't ever have to leave the honeymoon stage. If anything, marriage has to be better than the honeymoon, right? Likewise, our relationship with Jesus Christ never has to leave that place, that place of blessing, that place of fellowship. 
But sometimes we, we labeled it as such because we've left it. Now, I'm not going to get ahead of myself, but, but wasn't, wasn't life amazing when you first accepted Jesus Christ? Like, wasn't, wasn't your, your world rocked? Didn't, didn't, didn't your, your perspective of life change? Didn't you see God's love for you and God's love for the entire world? Didn't you, didn't you see that for the first time? It's like a blind or uh, the scales of your eye were lifted up. For the first time, you, see, you saw things just as they were, as they were intended to be. Man, the gospel was at the, at the edge of your tongue. You, you couldn't help but tell anyone you knew about it, right? You told your family, you told your friends, you told your, your saved friends just to make sure, and even just to get practice to share the gospel. You did it, you, you share the gospel with everyone. You felt freedom for the first time. Jesus had saved you from your sin, right? You felt a weight lifted off your shoulder. Your anxiety, your depression, your addiction, your insecurities, all gone. At the moment that you accepted Jesus Christ. We were made a new creature in Christ in that moment. An amazing, an amazing time. Can you agree? Okay. I'm just making sure you're with me. Now, again, I, I want to say that if that isn't you this morning, I'm begging you. you. You need that relationship with Christ. You need eternal life because what's coming is not, it's not pretty. Now, God desires a relationship with you so much that, again, He gave His Son for you to have a genuine relationship with you. Now, believer, brother, sister, remember the first time you signed up for ministry? You got involved? I know for me it was the uh, translating ministry. Uh, now, if, if you speak Spanish at, at whatever level, you need to be part of that ministry. Amen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Kaya, if you speak Spanish at any level, you need to be part of that ministry. Now, Spanish ministry, if you speak Spanish... You need to help your brothers out, right? Now, I remember I was part of that ministry for the first time. And it was an amazing time. Now, you, you, you signed up for Bible study. You got paired up for discipleship. You went to your, your first all-church retreat or fall retreat, whatever it may be. You went to your first event. You remember the late-night fellowships? This group became your family, Right? You, you, you joined Bible study, and that group, in that context, became your accountability group. You spilled your guts in that group. You told everyone everything about you. Meaningful conversations happen in this context. Man, you cried in public for the first time. You, you understood that there was a work happening inside of you. There's a movement of God happening in your heart. You're being changed, and you knew it. But then, maybe, maybe something happened. Maybe there's a, a great disappointment in your life. I don't know, maybe someone hurt your feelings. Maybe they rubbed you the wrong way. They, uh, maybe there's a big transition in your life. Gabrielle and I, my wife Gabrielle and I, are, are having a baby anytime soon. She, she could 
come now, right, if she wanted to. Uh, but, man, transitions in life happen. Your family, your old friends, maybe they, they distance themselves from you because you're now just the weird Christian. Um, Maybe your, your job slapped your hand because you've been talking about Jesus just a little bit too much. Um, maybe you fell into that sin that you promised God that you would never fall into again. Gosh, you feel guilty. You feel dirty, ashamed. But, but you're still learning what it means to walk with Him. So you keep, but you keep beating yourself up for it. Man, our first instinct is to go back to the honeymoon stage at all costs. Man, let's, let's fill up my schedule with events, ministry, retreats. Let, let me go back to that place where everything was so fun and rejuvenating. We've gone from a, from a place of fellowship with Jesus Christ to becoming a machine fueled by experience and program for ministry. Lastly, we, we, we think about this honeymoon stage a lot, right? We maybe been walking with Jesus Christ for a couple months, a couple years, decades. And we think back, man, I remember when I was 21 and I accepted Jesus Christ for the first time. And man, it was such an awesome time. Life was great. It was awesome. We think about it as this, this memory of the past. Meanwhile, we're, we're still in ministry. We're still in Bible study. We're still even evangelizing faithfully. Our walk with the Lord has become a monument, a thing of the distant past. Now I'm going to pray, and I know this, maybe that's a little intense, but let me, let me pray before we get to work. Um, Shall we? Father, we, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who has given me life eternal. And Lord, I pray that we hear this message. I pray that you would be the one um, knocking at the door of our hearts. Lord, that we uh, would have a soft enough heart to, to open the door. Uh, Lord, we love you. Uh, again, we pray that you would, you would move in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So like I mentioned before, we'll be in Isaiah 29. And I'm sorry this isn't uh, the encouraging message that we all hope for. But this is just what God had been dealing with me for months. Um, and it's, it's actually pretty funny. I was supposed to uh, teach in the Kaya class last week. But, you know, that got pushed back, and I actually had the COVID shot on Friday, and I was, I was sick for two days. So there's no way I could have done that. And so I, I believe that we're here in this, in this room together talking about Isaiah 29 for a reason. Now, if you haven't turned to Isaiah 29, um, we'll be looking at the character qualities of the average Christian of the Laodicean age. We're going to be looking at the spiritually, spiritually blind Christian, the apathetic Christian, and the hollow Christian. 
Now, sprinkled throughout, we'll have a few key points. Uh, it won't be intensive, but please take out your notebook, take out your phone, your phone be ready to take notes, and follow along with me. Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, are, are you guys ready? I feel like I'm just like staring in, okay. I feel like I'm the only one in this room. Um, Okay, so let's get to Isaiah 29. Um, Verse 9, it begins by saying, Stay yourselves in wonder, cry ye out and cry. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord hath poured out upon them, or upon you, the spirit of deep sleep, and hath closed your eyes. The prophets and the rulers, and your rulers, the seers, hath he covered. And the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee, and he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee, and he saith, I am not learned. Wherefore, verse 13, the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. Now, just a little context to this passage. Judah was being warned by God that God had found them out. God knows that they've been working on autopilot mode, and they are being extremely religious, right? They're, uh, they're actually called the lioness of God in the beginning of this passage. And some say that it is because they were such a powerful nation. They, they're a mighty force around their, their surroundings. Now, some say that uh, they, they call Israel uh, the lioness of God because they, they're so accustomed to the altar of sacrifice. They're so good at sacrificing, yet they're, they're not so good at obeying. I don't know if you can relate with that, but God is saying, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it, and if that's how you want to live, okay, you can have that. You can be that way. So let's look at the spiritually blind Christian, and we'll begin in verse 9. And again, it says, Stay yourselves and wonder. Cry ye out and cry. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. Israel is drunk, and they're behaving like such. Uh, but but God, is not, God is not pointing out that they've been drinking, right? They, Israel hasn't been abusing the, the, the sin of being drunk. Uh, actually, that, that was a past sin in, in chapter 28, if you, wanna, if you want to look at that. But he's saying, you're, you're drunk without even drunk a single thing. They cannot tell the judgment that is coming. They cannot tell what God is doing in their nation. And they cannot tell that they themselves are blind. Now, could you for a second think about if that is you this morning? Can you tell that there's a judgment coming for you, Christian? Can you tell that there's a judgment seat coming to judge every single work that you did with the truth that you have? Can you tell and discern what God is doing in your life? Can you tell from right and wrong? 
Can you tell that you've been blinded for a season? Now, this concept of drunkenness, Proverbs 23, verse 35 says, They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I, have not, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. He's talking about the drunkard that seeks the, the strong drink every single time. Every time he wakes up, he goes back to that thing that, that he's addicted to, right? Now, if you've been... Uh, maybe in your past addicted to, to alcohol, maybe you understand this concept, but believers, church-age believers, can you understand that you can be drunk with good things? You can be drunk with events. You can be drunk with retreats. You can be drunk with your own emotions, your own music, the things that, that you listen to, the things that you do every single day can fill your heart. And what happens to the Spirit of God when that happens? Ephesians 5, 17 says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding the, what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine where it is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I want to say, and man, maybe I'm wrong, but could you be drunk with all church retreat? I mean, is, we're a week or two weeks removed from a church retreat? The temptation is to say, man, I can't wait for next year. That was awesome. And then we go back into our lives, back to our cubicles, doing our jobs, doing whatever we were doing, playing video games, playing the guitar, whatever. And retreat was just a, it was just a thing that we did. But when we do that, we invite God to give us over to our, our own desires. If, is that, if that's what you want, maybe that's what you can have. If that's what you're obsessing over, you can have that. Let's read in verse 10. For the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep, and hath closed your eyes, the prophets and your rulers, the seers hath he covered. Now it says that the Lord poured the spirit of sleep, the spirit of slumber. Now, it wasn't the devil. It wasn't the, their, their own flesh. It wasn't the world deceiving them. It was God himself. He's saying, all right, it's time to go back to sleep. This is, this is how you want to be. Okay. I think that's terrifying. And I think this happened because they, they left their first love. What happened from, from chapter 26 to chapter 29? They chased after their religious practices, their religious activities. They, they have loved to be drunk for too long. Now, let, let me clarify something. God is not like you and I. God is not willing to throw you away just because you upset Him, right? Like God is long-suffering, willing that everyone would repent from their sin and accept Jesus Christ, right? Now, God is not willing that, that, that you would perish. Now, He's not willing to throw you away just because you've been acting childish for a season. But He's willing to give you over to your desires. Now, when does that happen? I, I don't know. I won't be the judge of that. 
But I want to clarify that once you are God's child, you can be unborn, right? Once He seals you with His Spirit, you, you can be unsealed. It says that you're sealed unto the day of redemption, until the, the day that Jesus Christ comes back for us. You're sealed. But guess what? You can, you can live an average Christian life. You can live an American Christian life all you want. If that's what you want. Romans talks about this concept for, as it relates to Israel being blinded after rejecting the Messiah for so many times. In Romans 11.8 says, According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, unto this day. And unto this day, they still are blinded. Their rulers, their seers, their teachers, and their preachers are blind. What frightens me more than anything is the idea is is the idea that God is willing to give me over to my own desires. Now, I have desires just like anybody else. I, I want a good life for my kids. I want a, a good home. Man, I you know, I want a good job. But but what is it that we want, church, MBT? Is it that white picket fenced house? Is it that family? Is it that job that we obsess about, that we work 80 hours a week? The hobby? That substance? Romans 1.21 says, Because of that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image made like two corruptible men, into birds, into four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves." Now, again, that is a scary concept that God is willing to give you over, that God is willing to give me over to the things that I obsess about. But if that's what we want, you know, if you, if you want to be a famous Christian, you know, if you want to be a famous artist, if you want to be an Instagram influencer, uh, you know, if you want to be a, a CEO, uh, a manager, if you want to just play your guitar well, it's not a bad thing. None of those things are bad. But if that's what you want. And I mean, you can mask it to say, man, I'm doing this for God's glory. And God is saying, man, get out of here. You're not. You're doing it for your own glory. You're doing it for yourself because it tickles your fancy, right? You're just doing it because you've been obsessing over it. Key point number one, and sweet. Um, it says, lack of vision will promote self-indulgence, produ producing apathy in the life of the believer. 
Does that make sense? When we lack vision, we self-indulge. We go to, we go obsessing over things we got to fix around the house, or we play video games, or you know, we, we practice the guitar just a little bit too long, or whatever. Again, those are not bad things. You, you need to mow your grass, and you need to change your windows. Man, last, last winter, our house was frozen. Our windows were just trash. <laughs> so we changed those. But if that's the only thing I'm thinking about, if I'm only thinking about bettering myself, guess what? That, that just produces apathy in my life. I don't care about the things of God when I'm, th- when I'm thinking about my windows. I don't care about the things of God when I'm just worried about this level I need to be. I hope you understand that because, again, it produces apathy in our church. It produces apathy in our lives. Now let's look at the spiritually apathetic believer. Verse 11 through verse 12, it says, And the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I, I cannot, for it is sealed. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I am not learned. Now, let's, let's take a look at Deuteronomy 20, or 30. God actually gives Israel His Word. He, he gives Israel His commandments. That way they would never have an excuse to say, we never knew it, right? We, we never knew your Word, so why are you judging us? And God is saying, here it is. Here is my Word so you can have it. That you never have an excuse to, to blame me because I've done everything in the world, in, in the whole cosmos, to give you what you need to be successful in this, in this walk with me. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11 says, For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it afar off. It is not in heaven that thou should say, Who shall go up for us in heaven, to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it, Neither is it beyond the sea that thou should, see it, should say, Who shall go over to the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thine heart, that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good, and death and evil. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. Do you understand God's heart? Like, do we see God's heart for us as, as we have the handle of the word of God? Yet, Man, you know, I, you know, I, it's sealed. I can't, I can't reach it. We don't have the manuscripts. You know, we need to study Greek and Hebrew to understand it. Or, you know what? I've not learned, so I can't tell you. I'm not really interested in the Word of God. 
What, what is our attitude towards the Word of God? Israel is not just spiritually blind, but they're spiritually apathetic. They have the very words of God, yet the learned is no wiser for it. The unlearned, they're not interested in learning it. So whether you think you're above studying the Word of God, or you think you have something better to do, both are excuses, and they're invalid, and they're selfish. And let me tell you why. Look at Revelation 3.17. Look at their example of, of the church age that we live in. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou, that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They're completely blinded, and that blindness produced apathy. They don't, they don't care to know the Word of God. And guess what, church? Guess what, MBT? Sometimes we don't either. Sometimes we look at LFBI and we say, man, I'm above that. I, I've, I've read my, my Peter Ruckman comment, commentaries, and I, I don't need LFBI. Or we say, man, I'm not a good student. Or, you know, I, I suck at this. I don't understand it. I'm bad in the classroom setting. Well, let, let, me, get, let me tell you this, that regardless is an apathetic position that we're taking. You have gone from choosing life to going back to death, right? Look at the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You started with such zeal. What hindered you? You signed up for discipleship. What happened to that? Regardless, whatever your excuse is, is about you. It's a selfish position. And we're choosing to take care of ourselves rather than take care of the things of God. What made you so prideful to think that you got better things to do? What made you so disinterested? Now, I can think of, of a million things that, that couldn't cause that. Because guess what? I, I am guilty of that. There, there is things that I think about, that, that I obsess about. I, I'm not here trying to condemn you. I'm here trying to relate with you. But what has taken God's place in your life? Are, are, you, guys, are you guys with me? i got to check up on you. Yeah? Okay. Cool. Okay. Let's look at key point number two. Um, whether you're a great or bad student of the Word, the Word is always accessible to you. The neglect of the pursuit of God's word is a pursuit of self-indulgence, and this produces a hollow heart. 
You understand that? The, the moment that I forsake the study of God's Word, the moment I say, I, I don't need this this morning, or I don't need this this week or this month, discipleship, I got, you know, I got, I got a meeting to go to. I, I can't do discipleship. LFBI, I can't sign up this month because um, I have a kid on the way. That, that's a valid excuse. <laughs> but guess what? I'm signing up. I'm signing up, and that's a shameless plug. Sign up. You, you got nothing better to do. <laughs> but the, the moment we forsake the pursuit of God's word, we're, we're, we're instantly in pursuit of ourselves. Right? So the moment that we forsook the word of God, now we're in a track to pursuing ourselves. And that produces a hollow heart. An empty and lifeless heart. So whether you struggle with a season of pride and comfort, or comfort, both are sourced in a prideful pursuit of self. I sound like I'm beating a horse, but I want to make sure that we understand this, that if you're too good for the simple, fundamental truth of God, which is discipleship, the 18 lessons of discipleship, which is your Bible study, which is your daily walk with the Lord in His Word, We're seeking other things. If you're too comfortable or, or too prideful, we end up looking for hidden truths. We end up, we end up looking for experiences that gaslight our faith. Does that make sense? The moment that I'm comfortable and I forsook the word, I am now seeking for something that inspires me. Something that uh, gets me going. And yeah, brother. Like, something that, you know, it's, it, it seems unreal in my life. The moment I become too comfortable and I want to go back to that place, that, that paradise, that, that honeymoon stage, is the moment that I'm looking for other things. Now, the third person here this morning is the spiritually hollow. Now, we, let's, let's take a look at verse 13. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the precepts of men. Wow. I've been in this, in this verse for about six months. And let me tell you, man, it's been crushing me. It's been crushing me. They relied on their procedures, their processes, rather than seeking revival from the Lord. In other words, they, they relied on religious practices. They relied on, on tactics that, they, that we execute in ministry every single week. They relied on the pamphlets, right? They relied on, on the things that they can give to people rather than the message itself. Like us, they praised without a heart. They, they removed their heart from the ministry itself. They, they would take advantage of one another. Now let's check out Mark 7, and I, I guess I'm running out of time here, but Mark 7, man, it's... It's, it's harsh. 
Jesus is calling out these Pharisees, and he's using this passage in Isaiah 29. Now, I love Mark because he, he does all the, the work for context for us, right? He says, you know, the Jews actually, whenever they came back from the market, they washed their hands, the pots, the pans, the tables. They did all of that. Why? To keep the, the traditions of the elders. That's why they did that. So the Pharisees are coming to the disciples of Jesus Christ and they're saying, why are you not washing your hands? <laughs> like, I'm, dude, I forgot. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but Jesus says, let me see here. Then Jesus says, well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites as it is written, this people honored me with their lips but their heart is far from me. Howbeit vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines and commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, ye hold the traditions of men as the washing of the pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And he said, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. Now Jesus goes further into detail with his disciples and he explains to them that it is not a matter of what they do and what they put in their mouth and what dirt is on their hands that ends up in their mouth. He actually says that that comes out of them to the drought. Like, they end up pooping that out, right? It, Jesus is not worried about what you put in your mouth. He's more concerned about what comes out of your mouth, about what comes out of your heart, better yet, right? He goes to describe this in verse 20, and he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, and all these evil things come from within and defile the man. See, Jesus is pointing out the real issue here. It's not the fact that you didn't wash your hands. It is the fact that your heart is condemned. Your heart is defiled. Now, I believe that I'm preaching to the choir here and that most of us are Christians. I, I want to believe that. But the moment that we leave the place of knowing that we are defiled, that we are sinful, outside of Jesus Christ, outside of His grace, we, we, we've completely failed. Although this morning we've looked at how um, our posture towards God can be, I want to call us to a personal revival, right? So that's, that's why I call this message revival, even though we're looking at a passage that is pretty, pretty dark. Uh, I want to call you each and every one of you to a personal revival. Remember that time that God saved you? Remember that time you accepted Jesus Christ for the, for the first time? You know, it wasn't, it wasn't the tears that you shed at Bible study. It wasn't all the emotions and, and all the vulnerabilities that, that you've allowed people into. The thing that brought you so close to God was you repenting from sin 
and depending on Jesus Christ for your, for your salvation. That is the very single thing that saved you. And they, that gave you all the emotions, access to all the things that you've never imagined. The reason we end up with spiritually blind, apathetic, hollow, or in this cycle is that we forget to repent and depend. Colossians 2.6 says, as, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So remember the first time you gave your life to Jesus Christ? Man, go back to that. Remember when you repented from all your sin and you said, Jesus, I am tired of my life. Can you be the Lord of my life? Go back to that. Depend on Him again. Now, this, this doesn't have to end with verse 13, the way that it does, right? Because I have good news for you. Because the things that God points out, the mouth, the lips, the heart, the fear, we can live out those things out in, in the right light. And let me explain what I mean by that. With the mouth... God says that you honor him, but your heart is removed. But let's look at Romans 10.8. But what saith it that the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, and in thy heart, that, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. In verse 10 it says, And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Yeah, you may be a hypocrite here this morning. And guess what? We're all hypocrites. I'm, I'm, I'm not better than you. You're not better than me, actually. Um, but guess what? We need to go back to that place of salvation, that place, that, that first love that we've left. Now, there's, there's different passages also that, that talk about how the mouth gives glory to God, and we may not have time for that. In Romans 15, 6, it says that we ought to glorify God with our mouth. Ephesians 4, 20, 29 says that Let's not, let not corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth. But guess what? But that which is good for the edifying of the saints. The mouth ought to evangelize. And while you may be gossiping on this side, man, I'm, I'm asking you, let's go evangelize. While you may be singing with vain words, man, go back to that first place of re repenting with your mouth. Ephesians 6, 9 says that, that, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now let's look at the lips because they're used for, for praying. In Psalm 17, 1, it says that, that, that goeth out of the unfeigned lips the prayer um, that God hears is what comes out of unfeigned lips or feigned lips, unfeigned lips. Now, the lips are like the instrument of the body, 
right? We, we have people that, that play the drums and the trumpet, Ali Staubamer. But guess what? We, we, can, we can use our lips as an instrument. We, we don't need to be in temple worship. We're in the choir of God, right? We, we can use our lips no matter what you sound like, even if you're off-key. Your lips can be the instrument that God gave you to praise Him. That, that's amazing, right? It doesn't matter what you sound like. You can blow out a lung and you, man, you glorify God with that, right? Man, now let's, let's talk about the heart because I'm running out of time, but the heart is like the motor, right? The motor in which the mouth and the lips work together. They get the pistons firing. The heart drives the genuine desire for salvation. Now, let's look at Romans 10 again, in verse 8 through, through 10. And in thine heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised you from the dead. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. The result of a functioning heart towards the Lord is found in Ephesians 5.19. And man, that, I, I think this is what puts it all together. Speaking with your mouth to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing with your lips and making melody in your heart towards the Lord. We, look guys, we don't, we don't have to end up in Isaiah 29. Guess what? Also, that is the Old Testament. That's the good news. Like, Jesus fulfilled the law. Now, guess what? You can live in that place if that's what you want. You can be drunk with spiritual activity. You can be blind and willingly oblivious to everything. And I'm, I'm almost done. So, Eric, if you want to come up here. Um, now, let's talk about the fear. Says that God says that they, they, they fear the precepts of men. Now, how do we fix that? Let me explain to you that the fear of the Lord is what keeps us in line, providing for, and provides for the opportunity to live right before God and before one another. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, in conclusion, I still have one key point, not yet, but in conclusion, I don't know about you. I don't know about you, church, but I am tired of living an average Christian life I'm tired of abusing the grace given to me. I don't know about you. I'm tired of being a child. I want to be a man of God. Key point number three, we need personal revival. And we need to go back to a place of daily repentance and soul dependence on Jesus Christ. With that, I end. But 
If you have any questions, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I ask that you'd come to the front. We'll have counselors right up here. Come talk to me if you have any questions. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, don't you dare leave this room. This is how God sees you outside of His Son, Jesus Christ. So don't, don't you dare leave this room. Father, we, we love you. And Lord, I pray that your word does the, the work that it needs to do because you promised that it doesn't return void. So Lord, um, I pray that for, for Midtown, you, uh, you light up a fire inside of us and that, Lord, you, you revive this church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.